We're going to jump in the Bible now, reading from John 20, verses 1 to 31, the whole chapter. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over, the, over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Tom, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who, do, who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you have, may have life in his name. Are you a fact person or are you a faith person? I've grown to love facts over the years. A few years ago now, my wife and I, we hired a van and we drove around the North Island of New Zealand for two weeks. And over those two weeks, it broke down not once, but twice. And on our final day, the van completely carked it. And uh, we had to be towed back to the airport. Um, a tow truck came and picked us up. And in that uh, tow truck, as we're heading back, we finally decided that it would be good to check the facts about this company uh, that we hired the truck from and found out that out of 500 reviews, pretty much all of them had zero stars. <laughs> so, now, so now I'm a huge fan of facts or at least subjective personal reviews. But it's not just me. Now Australia seems keen on facts. Sam Hilton pointed this out to me this week, this website called Fact Check. Has anyone heard of it? A few of you? I'm sure you have. Well, it's run by the voice of the people, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, also known as the ABC. So it's obviously, it's obvious that Australians love facts, right? But why is it when we come to faith, facts go out the window? Well, part of the answer is our world says faith is just this blind leap in the dark, right? It's throw your brains out the window and just go with what's in here. Even some Christians think uh, even, even some Christians think this, right? Here's what Mandy Hale, a Christian blogger turned New York Times bestseller says about faith. She says, to live, to truly live, we must be willing to risk, to be nothing in order to find everything, to leap before we look. Did you see it there? Leap before you look. Who actually does that though? Manny's basically saying that faith and facts, they don't actually go together. Faith is just this blind leap in the dark. So are you a facts person or are you a faith person? Well, the problem is that's not what God says faith is. And today we're jumping into John 20 and God's going to challenge us to see that faith and facts, well, they're not opposed to each other. In fact, Christianity is faith in the eyewitness facts about Jesus right? It's not just this blind leap in the dark. It's not throw your brains out the window. Faith is about real historical events that have been written down for us in the Bible. So if you've just joined us this week, we've been going through a series in John's account, looking at the various signs that Jesus did. Signs like turning water into wine, healing a paralyzed man, healing the blind, feeding 5,000 people, and even raising the dead we saw last week uh, in a man named Lazarus. Each pointing us though to a deeper eternal reality. And John the writer is reaching the conclusion of his account. He's, he's come to the climax in chapter 19 with the fact that Jesus had suffered and he died on the cross. And then today in chapter 20, we're joining four groups of people on that first Easter Sunday, four groups who testify and witness to the greatest of all Jesus signs, his resurrection. And if you're anything like me, you might be like, well, so what? <laughs> What's so important about going through facts or eyewitness facts? Well, 
Are you convinced of the facts? Are you someone who calls yourself a Christian and do you have faith in the facts? Because these things were written down so that we'd be convinced and confident in Christ. And just quickly before we get stuck in, something that's blown me away again as I've looked at these facts this week is everything in Christianity rests on the resurrection. Everything. Whether that's teaching about humanity or God or church or the end of the world, everything rests on the resurrection. And yet it's the most unbelievable thing in our day and age that someone could die and rise never to die again. So it makes sense that a guy named Paul would say and challenge us, challenge a bunch of people like us wrestling with it, say, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. The resurrection is massive for us. Should we get stuck in? So firstly, there's Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. No doubt the disciple John. Now, early in Early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene reports to Peter and John that the tomb is empty. And her first conclusion is that the tomb has been robbed. They've taken my Lord, she says in verse 2. So Peter and John run to the tomb. Now I imagine Peter to be perhaps more bulked than John, or maybe he's been worn out from the day before. He's, he's been out fishing for the, the week. Because uh, if you look at verse 4, have a look at verse 4 there, Peter is beaten by John in a foot race to the tomb. But John appears to be more timid, doesn't he? Because he wins the race to the tomb, but then he stops and he doesn't go in. And Peter, well, Peter, Peter's personality is consistent. Peter, without stopping, he just barges straight in. And that's how Peter is kind of often portrayed uh, throughout the four gospels. And what they don't see is what? The body of Jesus. So they witness the death of Jesus, but they don't see his body. But what do they see? Well, have a look in verse 5 there. John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So what do we see? What do they see? Well, Peter and John both see the grave clothes of Jesus, the things that were used to wrap the dead body of Jesus, the cloth that wrapped around his head. They were just lying there. And notice John doesn't leap before he looks. Verse 8, what does does it say? He saw and believed. He saw the facts of Jesus' empty tomb and the grave clothes lying there. But it's not just John. The next scene involves the eyewitness Mary Magdalene in verses 11 to 18. And her experience goes a step further. She's hanging around the empty tomb after Peter and John had just left, I imagine. But she's crying. Have a look in verse 11 with me. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now why is she crying? Had she forgotten how Jesus, just last week we saw in John 11, had raised her brother Lazarus to life again. And how he'd even said, I am the resurrection and the life. Surely she knows that it's not the end. And yet doubt has crept in here. Because she's asking, what's happened to Jesus' body? Who stole it? Who's taken it? And I reckon it's not hard to empathise with her here. 
If you know what she's been through and her relationship with her beloved Jesus, in Luke's account, we see he'd cast demons out of her. And like I said, he'd raised her brother Lazarus back to life. Imagine your brother or sister had died and been raised back to life by someone. You'd have a lot of time for that person, wouldn't you? Jesus had radically changed her life and yet he'd just been brutally killed. And so, of course, she's devastated. But her weeping is interrupted by someone she thinks is the gardener. Now, one thing I've noticed as I've kicked off youth ministry over the past two years is just how hard it is to recognize and remember people. We've got like 150 youth, a bazillion youth floating around HBC and teachers can relate to this. I often find myself calling, you know, Tim James or Josiah Eli or something like that. I can't even remember the names of my kids. I often say, call Micah Jack and Jack Micah. But one girl at youth said to me last year with a bit of sass, she said, Pete, you've introduced yourself to me like four times now. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, seriously? That's pretty embarrassing, right? But nothing comes close, I reckon, to the embarrassment of Mary here. That you think Jesus, the Lord God Almighty, risen from the dead, is the gardener. It's crazy, isn't it? How does she get it so wrong? Well, it's interesting that Jesus isn't always recognized at first glance, not only by Mary, but again, in Luke's account, uh, two travelers, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, straight after Jesus' death, they don't recognize Jesus at first glance. Even in the next chapter, John 21, the disciples are out fishing and they don't recognize him at at first glance either. They're kind of like, well, we know it's him, but we're not kind of sure it's him. Um, And there's also this uncertainty that the body of Jesus, it can't be touched by Thomas. We're going to see in a moment. He can eat food, yet he passes through locked doors, we're told. He's not always recognized at first glance. And why is that? Well, perhaps this shows the doubt of those around him. You know, they were just blinded by themselves or the situation they're in. Perhaps this shows Jesus' body was unrecognizable from crucifixion after all. He'd been beaten and bruised and bloodied. Well, I reckon 1 Corinthians 15 gives us perhaps the best sense that Jesus' resurrected body is is raised with this different kind of vibe or splendor, it says there. He was now fitted for heaven, not earth. And so he's unrecognizable. It's something for us to look forward to, isn't it? Our bodies are going to be different when we're raised and some of the dads with bad backs are like, oh yes, come on, bring on that day. But perhaps this is what made it hard to recognize Jesus. Either way, what's important here is that Mary's report in verse 18, uh, it's not this blind leap in the dark. No, she was questioned. But she says to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that's all she needs. She's seen the Lord alive with her own eyes. But Mary's not the only eyewitness of the risen Lord here. The third testimony is the disciples. And what a day for the disciples, an emotional roller coaster, I reckon. So you can just imagine the disciples get together, perhaps during the day, the reports start coming in from John and Mary and perhaps the other two who had walked on the road with Jesus and they begin with joy. They're stoked about what's happening but they hit this wall of cynicism and scepticism. Because have a look in verse 19 there. 
on the evening of that very first uh, of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jew- Jewish leaders. Surely they would have heard the reports. Mary's given a testimony, John's given his, but doubts have crept in. And they say, perhaps he wasn't real. Perhaps you were hallucinating, Mary, and you were just seeing what you wanted to see. And again, like when Jesus was first arrested, fear of the Jewish leaders comes to mind for them. Man, what? we've got to hide. We've got to get out of here. What if they do to us what they did to him? So you can only imagine the reaction when Jesus shows up in that room. Have a look at the second half of verse 19 with me. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, this is not a blind leap in the dark, is it? These guys weren't gullible idiots here. They were actually wrestling with this stuff. We might be prone to think because they lived in the first century, not the 21st century, they're not as smart. They were skeptics, these guys. But now the disciples are overjoyed. And why is that? Because they saw the Lord who had died and now living and breathing among them. They saw the scars in his hands and in his side. And he says with true authority as the Lord of life and death, peace be with you. And I reckon he's comforting their fears, but but even more, peace is here. Forgiveness is here. Reconciliation is here between humanity and God. I've died for your sin and risen. And just in case you forget, he says it again, again, again. Peace be with you. The disciples see the risen Lord here. But Jesus' final appearance is to our good old mate, Thomas, eyewitness number four. There's something quite uh, human and attractive about Thomas, I reckon. He's the guy who, when Jesus says, I'm going up to Judea to see Lazarus, and the disciples say, oh, you're going to die up there. And Jesus is like, I'm going anyway. And Thomas is just his faithful Padawan apprentice, right? He says, let's go die with him. Why not? Uh, he's been labelled by people over the years as being kind of careless and irresponsible because he ducked out for a feed or a toilet break when Jesus appeared for the first time in verse 24 there. And he's been used as a warning by some for missing the gathering of God's people on Sundays. He's earned the name Doubting Thomas just because he said what many of us have thought ourselves. Have a look at verse 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This guy, this is that guy, sorry, who says, like most of us, unless you show up, God, I am not going to believe. Unless you answer my prayer, God, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus' words are an interesting warning in verse 29. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed, Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, it may be that Thomas had a bit of what uh, in John's gospel, many in John's gospel had that demand for a sign to show Jesus' identity. But do you notice how Jesus responds? In this instance, Jesus graciously gives Thomas what he asked for, doesn't he? He didn't have to do that. 
And his response gives us what I reckon is the climax of this chapter. That is Thomas's response. Just imagine this moment though. Have a look uh, from verse 27 with me. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Wow. Yes. Thomas gets this tangible experience. He puts his fingers in the nail marks and his hand in Jesus' side. But what's important is he sees. Because what's his response in verse 28? My Lord and my God. Thomas doesn't leap without looking. He doesn't take a blind leap in the dark. He doesn't throw his brains out the window and just go with his gut. No, he sees, he believes, and he can't help but personally worship Jesus here. My Lord and my God, he says. So there it is, four eyewitness testimonies to the most incredible event in history. And in each of these four eyewitness testimonies, there is this focus on what was seen. For Peter and John in verse one, uh, one to 10, Peter sees the strips of linen and John in verse eight saw and believed. Mary in verse 18 goes to, goes to the others announcing, I have seen the Lord. And the disciples in verse 20, as they gathered together, are overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Thomas in verse 25 says, I will not be convinced unless I see the nail marks in his hands. So four groups of people, all of them see with their own eyes, the facts for the, the resurrection, the risen Lord, and all of them believe because of the resurrection. English mathematician John Lennox said, the evidence of the empty tomb, the character of the witnesses, the explosion of Christianity out of Judaism, and the testimony of millions today are inexplicable. In, uh, that's unexplainable without the resurrection. And he goes on, as Sherlock Holmes said to Dr. Watson, how often have I said to you that when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, it must be the truth. So what do we do with this? Well, this week I was reminded again just how good it is to have access to the Bible. If you're a believer, we should be like, man, how good is it to have access to the Bible, right? Yes, we haven't seen like the disciples did. We, we didn't get to stand in the empty tomb and see the grave clothes and, or see Jesus' scars in his hand or put our hand in his side and, and see his scar in his side. But Jesus says in verse nine, uh, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. But what does that mean? Well, we have the facts. We have the facts. Thomas and the other disciples here teach us that true belief comes from trusting in the written word of God handed down to us through the apostles and prophets. So part of our response is, thank you, God. Thank you. We have access to these facts in the Bible. Because many people don't have access to it in order to be able to believe. Do you know there are so many countries today who don't even have a Bible in their own language? Just think, just think about Newcastle and Lake Mac and how many people aren't Christians here. There's something like 300,000 people, so it's probably close to that. But at least we've got some Bibles, right? Bibles that people can read in their own language. Here's a stat for you. Did you know that there are 
around 7,000 languages spoken around the world. Do you know that only around 700 languages have the full Bible translated in their own language? Only 700 of 7,000. That's insane, isn't it? That's over 6,000 languages that don't have the full Bible. Now, on one hand, we've we, we got to look at that and go, man, we are so blessed. We have the incredible privilege of access to God's word. So let's keep reading it, right? Let's keep treasuring it. Let's keep swimming in it daily. If you need help with that, why not grab one of those fantastic resources that, that our church has put together, a time with God to help you do that. Or for our youthies, we've just put together this thing called Bible Daily. So check your emails, Instagram, those kinds of things, HBC Youth. Um, but grab one of those. God's graciously given us the Bible. So give thanks for that and hook into it. But on the other hand, it's devastating, isn't it? Think about all these countries that don't even have one full Bible in their own language. And we've got to ask, how, how are they going to hear the facts? How are they going to believe? Man, we've got to go, don't we? We've got to go. We've got to get out there. If we believe these life-changing facts ourselves, we've got to be witnesses too. And that's what we are. Just this week, I was reminded by a friend. He said, Pete, we've got to keep getting our, our people's, uh, getting people's heads into the Bible because that's where God clearly shows himself to us. That was an awesome reminder for me. So what do, you, what do you do with these eyewitnesses though, um, these eyewitness testimonies from John 20, if you're not a believer and you're like, no, nah, I don't believe, or you're even someone saying, I'm just struggling at the moment. Like, I feel like I'm one of those doubting disciples. Unless God shows up, I'm, I'm not believing. Well, some of John's last words here are, are a comfort and a challenge for us. And it's what we've kept coming back to this whole John series. Have a look there at verses 30 to 31 with me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Today we've seen the facts by not one, not two, not three, not four, but at least, by at least 10 eyewitnesses that God has shown up. Christianity's faith in the eyewitness facts about Jesus. It's not a blind leap in the, leap in the dark. It's, it's not throw your brains out the window and just go with your gut. Our God has shown up in Jesus. He's turned water into wine. He's healed the paralyzed. He's healed the blind, fed the 5,000, raised the dead. He's done more than that, John says here. And, and even the greatest of all, he's risen himself from the dead, never to die again. And John says, this was written so you will believe. So the big question is, will you believe? Will you believe? But, but perhaps you're not there yet. Some of you might be saying, well, Pete, I've still got questions. I've, I, I, I need more facts. I need more evidence. And that's great. That's great. God wants you to keep going back to the, to the Bible for yourself and to see Jesus for yourself. Will you at the very least go to the Bible to keep checking out the facts, the claims that Jesus makes? If you need help with that, why not come along to the Life Series? This is exactly why it's been set up, so that you would get help jumping into the Bible and looking at the huge claims about Jesus 
for yourself. But whatever you do, don't pass this up. Because John says here that those who believe, they'll gain life. And what does that mean for those who don't believe? That's not good. If Jesus truly rose never to die again, he's the risen Lord. And he's absolutely worth looking into, yeah? Why don't we pray that we would? Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus has risen. Thank you that death could not hold him. Thank you that you have called us to be your witnesses of this, to tell of the reality of a saviour, the Lord Jesus, who died to bring us peace with God, to tell of the reality of the resurrection. And we pray that you would help us to believe, help us in our doubts, in our sadness, in our fears, that we would live for the risen Lord Jesus, that we would give our lives to serve and worship him forever for his honour and his glory. Amen.